What's up, Ski System? Thank you for tuning in to the weekly episode of the Ski System podcast. I'm your host, Abe Maynard, the founder of the Ski System, and I'm stoked to be here today to talk to you about something very important when it comes to strength training and skiing specifically, and that is core strength. But this word gets thrown around all the time, so I figured that it would probably be good to do a little bit of explanation and I'm going to break down exactly what this episode entails. So we'll talk a little bit about skiing and core and why that word's thrown around so much when it comes to training circles regarding winter sports specifically. We'll talk a little bit about what the core actually is. So the definition, we'll go through four muscles specifically that encompass the core. In this episode, we're not going to dive into the entire system. We're going to stick to these four muscles just because it can get very dense. We're also going to talk about skiing demands. So what demands does the sport of skiing actually place on your core muscles? That should tell us a lot about how we should train them, which is how we'll close the episode by bringing everything together and talking to you about my top five exercises that you can implement to really get the most out of your strength training this summer so that when next season comes around, you're not just doing medicine ball sit-ups before the season starts. I can't really express how different it feels to ski when you have stable core muscles. I'll give you an example. I skied, as many of you know, from the time that I was nine through 18 at a highly competitive level, making it almost on the US ski team by nine spots my senior year. I trained a lot back then, and a lot of my summer was comprised of strength training and running and cardiovascular training and water ramp training, trampoline training. But the core exercises that we used to do were very foolish. They were sit-ups and planks and variations of the two. As I became a professional trainer in my later life and formed a career out of it and businesses out of it, I've spent so much time training the core in much more dynamic, meaningful, and stable ways that really transfer into sport. So when I went back to Ski Steamboat this winter, it was the first time that I did four consecutive days on Steamboat since high school. I tend to travel around a lot more now when I ski, and it's rare that I get four days back in my home mountain, and I felt like a machine. I swear, at 33, I feel like I can ski harder, faster, and longer than when I was 18, and a lot of that I attest to truly understanding how to strengthen my core muscles, but really how to transfer that strength into useful areas. So the things that I do on snow are athletic, aggressive, and they don't wear me down throughout the day. Because if you can have a stable trunk, which is ultimately what the core is supposed to do, stabilize your trunk, then your limbs can move freely. Close your eyes and imagine any skier skiing down the hill. It could be yourself, it could be a friend. A good skier has a stable trunk, so that's between the shoulders and the hips, and their legs are doing whatever they need to do to get down the hill. A crazy skier, brand new skier, someone who looks like they're out of control is going to have a really loosey-goosey upstairs that's responding to every single thing that's happening at their legs that looks unstable, that's going to make it harder for them to stop, harder for them to control their skis, their edges, make aggressive movements, get out of the way. It's apparent a skier with a stable core is going to rip down the mountain because they can handle the forces that are acting against them. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but I wanted to just explain that this word gets thrown around because of its value. Everyone who skis or who has skied for a long time knows that if their core is stable and strong, then it's going to stabilize their body. And if you have a stable body, 
you can react better to ground forces, you can maneuver better, you can ski more difficult terrain. So that's why you hear it thrown around a lot. I think the problem is that typically when people say core, what they are thinking of is the rectus abdominis, which is like the top six muscles, most superficial. That is the six pack looking muscle group. And so if you are thinking of the core as those muscles and how to train those muscles, then sit-ups are great because that's exactly what they train. They train flexion in your abdomen to bring your ribs closer to your hips, to do actions like go down to the ground to pick something up. You're going to need a strong rectus abdominis to do that safely. So people will throw this word around, oh, you need strong core, you need strong core. But honestly, when you look online, and I've done it, all you get is planks and plank variations. Still, it's 2022. It's 2022. And exercises from the 1980s are still the most found exercises when you look for what to do to strength train your core for skiing. Again, broken record. That's why I built the ski system because I baked into all 50 of the programs that are on there real dynamic core exercises that fight rotation, fight gravity, fight flexion, fight extension, and fight the forces that act against you when you're skiing. They're already baked in. So you could literally go and pick any program on there, just do it, and by design, you are going to develop a core that's more capable of skiing. So let's actually unpack what the core is from a technical standpoint, the muscles that is in, that are involved in the core, and then we're going to break down a little bit about each one. And I guess a little caveat here, the core, the idea of the core, that's a theory. It is characterized by a group of muscles, which I'll explain here, but really your entire body is your core. If your legs, like your glutes and your hamstrings are weak, they're not going to operate your pelvis that well. If you have weak glutes and hamstrings and really strong abs, you're not going to be able to perform athletic movements the way that you want. So having a strong core in that sense is worthless. Your body has to work synergistically. For every action, there's a reaction. For every muscle that's contracting, there's one that's extending. So when it really all boils down to it, a skier that has a stronger core really just has a more functional entire body, entire unit that's more capable of clicking into the skis, heading downhill, and reacting to what's happening to them. But for the sake of this conversation, we are going to break this down into a couple main muscles. Your transverse abdominis, which is the deepest, your internal obliques, your external obliques, and your rectus abdominis. I will use the technical terms here, so it will get a little bit in the weeds, but I'm going to explain it in a way that makes sense. So we'll start with the transverse abdominis. And this is how I like to explain this muscle. I've explained it to clients for years. And if you think of your spine, everyone can imagine their lumbar spine. Those are the really thick discs in the bottom of your spine that connect your pelvis up through to your thoracic, which is your midspine which connects your cervical, that's your neck spine, which connects to your skull. So these really thick vertebrae lie in between your pelvis and your rib cage. And why that is significant is because they are free floating. Your pelvis has surrounding elements that are going to help support it in place. And it's attached to your femur, which goes down into your legs. Your thoracic spine 
has the rib cage spiraling off of it. So that's a pretty sound structure, right? The ribs are there to protect internal organs. And that part of your spine is pretty mobile. You can move laterally, you can flex side to side, forward, back. The lumbar, the reason the discs are so big is to create stability. The problem is that the lumbar discs aren't by themselves sufficient enough to create a stable trunk. This is why many people have back pain, is because their transverse abdominus is weak. The muscle that supports these free-floating lumbar has no endurance, has no strength, cannot create tension. If that's happening, then something's gotta give. So if you take, for example, a sport like skiing, you're going down the mountain, you're hitting chunder, bumps, changes in condition, you're getting rattled, all the force that's acting into the ski is gonna transfer up the chain and through the body. So when it hits these lumbar discs, this free-floating space, if there's no muscles around to absorb that chatter or that bumpiness or that jarring motion, then the bones are gonna have to take on that responsibility as it transfers up and then leaves the body. So if every skier out there that's ever complained of back pain could do one thing and nothing else, it would be to do exercises that strengthen their transverse abdominus to give endurance and muscular strength to that free-floating area so that you can have a stable, tension-filled trunk that allows your limbs to move freely while you're doing whatever you want to do. The main focus of the TVA is to protect the internal organs by holding them in place. You can think of the transverse abdominus as kind of this barrel that's right in the middle of your body, and it's protecting everything inside of it. So if these muscles are weak, they're not going to do a great job of protecting that stuff. If they lack endurance, so they can't hold a contraction for very long under intense circumstances, they're going to give, and that's where you're going to create pain. The other thing that the transverse abdominus does is maintain abdominal wall tension. You can feel your stomach with your fingertips right now. Feel your sides and feel your back. You can even feel, I'm doing this right now, where your ribs end and where your pelvis starts. And there, if you hold your fingers there, there's about a three inch gap. So the transverse abdominus is creating tension along this wall, this band around our whole body. The other thing it does is stabilize the spine and pelvis before movement can occur. So if you said, okay, I'm gonna get up and walk to the bathroom, your transverse abdominus has to stabilize your spine and pelvis before you can do that. You can't move your limbs until this happens. But most people don't know how to train this muscle. You can't train it by doing sit-ups. You kind of train it by doing planks, depending on the intensity and the form. Form is extremely important in that movement because most of the time, people's hips are too high, they're loaded into their shoulder, their deltoids, their neck, and their legs are bent. So they're not keeping an erect position that actually places the stress on the muscles. So stick around to the end because I'm gonna go through a couple exercises that are specific to the transverse abdominis. If it helps you, honestly, you could pull up just Google core anatomy and actually look at a diagram of this and it'll make a little bit more sense. I know I'm explaining it by talking and sometimes that doesn't paint the right picture, but I digress. The next muscle that we move onto as we move outward is your internal oblique. This is responsible for flexing and extending the trunk, and it also assists in forced exhalation. So these muscles help us breathe. They help contract and expand our midsection by allowing our diaphragm to move up and down as our lungs fill with air and decompress as air leaves the lungs. 
we then go to the external oblique. This is that striated kind of ripped muscle on the side of the abdomen that uh, <laughs> if you think of like, <laughs> these guys drive me nuts. But if you think about like a professional bodybuilder on stage, when they put their hands above their head and they flex to the side, those striated muscles between their abdomen and their back, those are your external obliques. Their responsibility is to flex the trunk, assist in expiration, and it supports intra-abdominal pressure. So again, it shares this role of stabilizing abdominal tension within the abdominal wall. And then we move out to the most superficial muscles, the ones that people usually think of when they say core, which is your rectus abdominis. It's called the six-pack muscle, but really there's eight of them. And this is basically the body between your ribs and your pelvis. And this adds stability on the anterior, the front side of our body. If you actually watch a human walk in slow motion, we don't walk 100% upright. We walk at a little bit of an angle. We have to essentially fall forward to move forward. It's happening, again, at micro scale. But part of the reason that we have these muscles here is because as you move forward, there is action going on in this disproportionately to the posterior muscles in your body. So that's one reason that this muscle group helps create stability between the ribs and the pelvis as we move or especially as we ski. So again, these are four muscles, the transverse abdominis, internal oblique, external oblique, and rectus abdominis that make up the quote core muscle group from the anterior or frontal side of the body. That is not to neglect the fact that there are muscles, literally 50% other muscles on the backside of your body that share responsibility, but they share responsibility in a different way. So your low back erectors are going to help maintain an upright position as they work with your abdominis to flex and extend forward and back. No matter what, our body is always working together to keep us upright. If you had some sort of crazy compensation on the front of your body and you couldn't fire your core muscles, you would fold forward. Think of like a hunchback, right? Probably some pretty weak abdominal muscles on the anterior side of their body. So again, these four muscle groups, they make up the core. And in a moment here, we're going to tie this all back together about how we actually train those muscles with specific exercises that you can do, of which... I will have listed in the show notes so you can search the name. I think I have links for a couple of them that uh, I've made, so you can check those out as well. So let's actually talk about skiing for a moment. And if you've listened to this podcast before, I've had episodes where I talk about what's actually going on while we're on snow. So sport of skiing places a lot of demand on our trunk. That's because if our trunk isn't stable, our limbs can't move the way that they want to move because we have to have a stable trunk in order for our legs to sway underneath us, for our hips to maintain down the fall line. And like I said before, this is ever apparent if you just watch someone ski who either doesn't know how to ski or is weak because their body position will tell so much about which part of their body is or is not working. Sometimes just the fact that someone's in brand new ski boots puts them in back seat, their core muscles aren't working to stabilize their legs, they scoot down to the tails of their skis and they wash out and fall over. You could take that person, develop some core strength, make their trunk more stable, load them over the front of their skis, get a little bit more edge control, and now they're going to be skiing entirely differently. So it adds trunk stability. This one is really important to me 
because I had back problems in high school, again, because I wasn't properly training these muscles, but it adds spinal integrity. If you have a strong transverse abdominis, you're much less likely to get some sort of overuse injury from your back from just skiing. Of course, if something traumatic happens, if you hit a rock, if you hit a tree, if you double eject and twist your body, of course things can go wrong. But in my case, after my senior year, I ended up in physical therapy because I had so much disc compression and spinal compression at my lumbar from years of mobile skiing, landing out of the air, trampoline training with the absence of proper deep transverse abdominis core strength. Now, at the end, we'll get to exercises again that treat that, that I've used over the past 10, 15 years, and they make a world of difference. They don't really require that much time, but they're so useful. The other thing that we can think about with skiing is that if you're stable, good balance, good core tension, then you're going to be more capable. If you took a person, let's imagine two people, one has a very stable core, very strong, functional. The other person's never exercised a day in their life, brand new. But for the sake of the argument, we assume that their ski skill is evil. Equal, sorry. <laughs> evil ski skill. Their ski skill is equal. Send them down a slightly bumpy hill. The person who's weak is going to get bounced all over the place until inevitably they fall. The person who's stable has strong core muscles, going to be more capable of handling the conditions that are coming at them. And they're going to be more capable of handling the conditions that are coming at them quickly. And they're going to be able to get out of the way of something if it arises while they're coming down the hill. All of a sudden, oh, there's a twig. I got to get out of the way. Quick, stabilize the core, make an action with my legs, get over off the fall line. That's why being stable makes you more capable. Being more capable allows you to ski more terrain. And that's true for anybody. You could even be an athlete who's already proficient at skiing, already decent. Make your core muscles more stable and capable of reacting to things, and you're going to be a better skier. That's just not negotiable. That's why the best athletes in the world still train all summer long, even when they're skiing at an Olympic level, because it's seconds that separates the winner from the loser. It's fractions of seconds in some mogul runs that separates the winner from the loser, and it's extra feet falling out of the air that you need to be more stable of to win, to get a bit better air score, go bigger than the other person. That's why you, they all have to continually just be getting stronger and more capable and more capable. So more stable, more capable, more terrain. The other thing that you have to do when you're skiing is manage speed. And I've talked about this and written about this in other episodes and blog posts. Speed management happens through edge control. Edge control happens through body position, and body position management happens from core stability, period. If your midsection, your trunk is not stable, you cannot get your feet back underneath you, you cannot get back to a stacked position, and you can't drive into your tips to create edge pressure to scoot yourself into a different direction. So speed management is a product of core stability. Stable skiers with strong core muscle groups that can quickly stabilize on call and execute a movement, they can slow down, speed up, or manage the both at the same time much, much better than someone who doesn't have core stability. Then we get to compression, friction, and force redistribution. These are all factors that you're going to experience if you're a skier at any level. Compression, you can think of that as anything as simple as jumping off a small cat track to sending a 60-foot table. When you land, there's an element of compression. You're falling out of the sky, you land, 
your joints flex some extend to allow you to absorb the position. And if your core muscles aren't strong, then you're going to blow up in yard sale. Of course, yard sales can happen for many reasons. People can land back seat. They can hit an object when they land. But for sake of the conversation, if you took two people, one had a stronger core than the other, you drop them out of the air. Who do you think is going to survive? Who do you think is going to have a better landing? Who's going to stomp it and ski away, regardless of condition? So it allows your body to absorb compression when it happens. And that happens on varying scales. Obviously, sending a cliff is the extreme, but even something like making a really aggressive GS turn. As you come into the arc of the turn, your body compresses against the skis. Gravity is acting against you. Speed's compressing you further into your skis, and then you pop out of the apex of the turn and roll into another one. If your core is stable, it's going to have a much better ability to manage that transition from apex to apex, from edge to edge, all while managing speed and pitch. Then we get force redistribution, which is a version of that. If you have to stop, you're taking all this speed, throwing your edges sideways, increasing the friction against the snow, and as that happens, forces are acting against your body and your core muscles are helping to stabilize your trunk while the rest of your body redistributes the force. That's kind of a nerdy, like, sciencey explanation of what's going on when you stop, but it's also easy to think about. There's, there's forces happening. There's speed, right? There's friction. You know that gravity is there because if you jump off something, you come back down. When all of that is acting against you, the object that's sliding down the hill, your ability to redistribute those when need be is a product of having a strong body and more importantly, having a strong core muscle group because it can, again, stabilize the trunk while your limbs do what they want. The limbs can absorb and chatter and flex and extend because the core muscles are stable and they're allowing them to do so. So let's switch and talk about five of my absolute favorite exercises to target all of these muscles to target actions that are actually gonna happen on snow, that have a transition. Things that you can start doing today, in the middle of May, or if you really wanna be a procrastinator, <laughs> wait until October and do too little too late. So let's start with the payoff press. You'll find this in so many of the ski system programs from a more foundational level on your knees, all the way up to dynamic examples where you're falling out of the sky stopping yourself and doing it all at once. The programs themselves progress the exercise. So if you're doing, for example, a level one program, you're going to have a more foundational version of this exercise. If you're doing a level three or an advanced program, you're going to see a more dynamic expression of the exercise where you're standing or you're moving or you're changing your base of support to decrease stability before you do the exercise. What a payoff press is, Again, all of these are linked in the show notes, so you can actually get a visual on what I'm talking about. But it is an exercise that builds anti-rotational strength and durability in your obliques. That's to mean you shift a set, uh, an object away from your center of gravity in this exercise, and the further it gets away from you, there's more of a tendency for your body to rotate towards the resistance. Your obliques and your core muscles will work together alongside your glutes, hamstrings, and quads to keep your pelvis from rotating. The further the object gets, the harder it is to maintain that. The closer it gets to you on the return, the easier it is to maintain that. So you're basically placing your core muscles as a unit 
through this progressively more stressful position to build proficiency in fighting rotation. Why does this matter? You're skiing down the hill, middle of a turn, all of a sudden your left ski outriggers, it starts to track away from you and you gotta get it back to where you are without rotating and catching an edge and falling over. Your ability to do that, again, is gonna happen because you can stabilize your trunk, you can fight rotation from your midsection which will allow your outriggering leg to become slightly weightless to get back to the start position, back to the midline. So anti-rotational strength is good. Anti-rotational endurance is really good because we know that most ski runs are between a minute to two and a half minutes long. So if your core muscles have to be proficient at fighting rotation for two and a half minutes, then you sure as hell want to be training it close to that within the gym. You can do this with static hold payoff presses, where you actually hold the extension for long periods of time. It's an isometric exercise in that version. It's very difficult, but it's very useful, and you control the resistance. So check that out in the show notes. It's one of my all-time favorite exercises for building anti-rotational strength, and I still do it today. I just wish that I knew about it when I was skiing competitively. The next one is a hollow hold. This is the bee's knees of transverse abdominus training. It originated from gymnastics. Essentially, you lay on your back. You make sure that you totally flatten your back to the ground. Like if someone put, when I do this with clients, I put a towel under their back. And if I can pull the towel out, then I know that they're not tilting their pelvis back far enough to engage their transverse abdominus. So that's a good metric. If you have a friend put a hand under your low back, or if you put something on there and try to pull it out while you're doing the exercise, it's a really good feedback mechanism to know if you're engaging the right muscles. A hollow hold, you put your hands above your head slightly, heads relaxed on the ground, legs are off the ground, locked out at the knee, knees touching each other, feet touching each other at a 45 degree angle or lower, but only lower if you can keep your back flat. That is the key to this exercise and I see it done incorrectly all the time. As soon as the legs go lower and it pulls the back up, transverse abdominus disengages, erectors and low back muscles engage. So it becomes low back painful instead of transverse abdominus strengthening. So through those two exercises, we have anti-rotation, transverse abdominus strengthening. We're covering up all these muscles. No matter what, when you do these exercises, you're training all the muscles at once, except for the hollow hold that's specific to the transverse abdominus. Next, we move to a half kneeling chop. Again, this has an unlimited amount of progressions. You'll find many of them in the ski system programs. You start in a half kneeling position and you essentially pull a piece of resistance from above you to your down knee. So you're pulling something across your body. This works two things. You're fighting gravity, right? Because as you pull this thing towards you, you're increasing the pull as it gets further away from its start point. And so gravity is trying to, you're trying to pull towards the floor and it's trying to pull itself away from gravity back up to the top of the resistance. So as you do that, you begin to feel a lift of your body. It starts to come off the ground and you fight to keep that in place by using your glutes, your hamstrings, your external internal obliques and your transverse abdominus to stabilize your pelvis. So you're fighting gravity, but you're also fighting rotation because as you come down, it's gonna wanna twist you back up. That's where you have to pull back to the center line. This one works very much like the payoff press. It's just a different variation of it. And it uses a pulling up and down motion versus pressing out in front of you. 
I love half kneeling chops because again, they have so many different progressions that you can do. You can switch your foot position midair. You can fall into the position. You can do them from the knees, from half kneeling, from standing. You can do them with one arm, depending on what sports you're trying to train for. There's so much that you can do here and you want to do them slowly, very slowly. Build control in this position. Build proficiency in the position and then progress the position. Next, we go to Superman holds and lifts. I was hesitant about putting these in here because technically they work the muscles posterior on the backside of your pelvis, right near your waistband. But Superman holds are very important to combat the typical flexion that we find ourselves in in a day. If you're seated in a desk chair, you're in flexion at the hips. Your back is probably rounded unless you have insanely good posture. Scout's honor, I find myself with my back rounded a lot too. Even though I'm thinking about this all the time, Superman holds you lie flat on your stomach, extend your legs straight out, arms straight out, squeeze your butt, pull yourself up off the ground and hold. So head, shoulders, neck, arms, elbows, hands are off the ground and as much as you can get from your foot, ankle, knee, and through your thigh. It's hard to get your full thigh off the ground in this exercise, but coming up and holding is going to place stress on the low back muscles, not low back discs, low back muscles in a very good way, a way that we want to do. And the range of motion is so small that the margin for error is nearly non-existent. You can do this for reps, you can do this for time, you can do this elevated off different surfaces, but Superman holds are something that you must work, especially as a skier, because you need integrity on both sides of your body. And in all honesty, this probably warrants another episode where we just talk about the posterior core muscles and how they interact and how these all work together. But Superman's or Superman holds where your feet are actually hooked into a device and you're extended out past your hip. I know that is very difficult to understand what I'm talking about, but I will include Superman lifts again in the show notes, and that way you can get a visual on what this looks like. The next thing, this is a very cool exercise that's newer to the training space, something that didn't exist when I was training, and they are called dead shifts. The best way to explain this is to think about someone deadlifting in a gym, right? This is common exercises. Many people do it. It's seen as one of the most essential exercises for building strength. Someone approaches a barbell. The barbell's on the floor. They assume a bilateral equal stance, foot to foot, lining their toes up. They anchor their feet into the floor, grip the bar, and they drive through their feet to extend their hip forward, which makes them stand up. And they look really cool at the top because you're holding a barbell and it's bending and you look strong. That's a dead lift. You're lifting a dead weight object off the ground from a static position, right? There's no momentum in the exercise for the first rep. You're just lifting it from the ground. So you need concentric strength to contract the muscle, eccentric strength to lower the muscle. You need stability and myriad different things you have to have as a prerequisite to do it. Now imagine you're in an airplane and your luggage is overhead and you reach up and despite being strong, despite having worked out, or maybe you haven't worked out and you're reaching up anyway, and it's just hard to get that thing out of there. It's hard to get your luggage, stabilize it, 
and pull it off the plane, right? Watch people do this. It's scary. A lot of times I think that people are going to drop their luggage on themselves. That's a dead shift. You're starting the with, with the weight above you. The position that you're in is complex. Maybe both feet are very close together because it's an aisle. Maybe one foot's on the chair because you're not tall enough. Maybe you're in a twisted position because the person in front of you is too close. Whatever things are going on, you're in a very odd position. And now you're shifting dead weight around, around you, around your center of gravity, around your mass. And why these are so valuable and why they're starting to be studied, these movements called dead shift movements, is because that is a very, very functional application of core strength, stability, and proficiency. If you have weak core muscles, you can't reach up and stabilize something over your head. Surely, yes, it takes upper body strength, shoulder stability as well. But it's those muscles between your rib cage and your hips that are really setting the tone for whether or not that thing's going to go on. So the reason that dead shifts are so valuable for skiers is because skiing is unpredictable. Skiing is not stepping up to a barbell, assuming an even position, getting your hands ready, taking a big breath in, gripping and going. Now, it does not mean that deadlifting is bad. Deadlifting is essential to skiing, but it is essential for aspects of it, for building strength in the legs, for building power, for building raw, single-effort strength that's going to help you when you land off something high, when you get bobbled and you have to fight for it. But most of what's happening in skiing is strangely complex and dynamic, and that's where dead shift exercises are going to be valuable. It's not saying that an upper body overhead movement exercise is going to be the thing that makes you a better skier, but what it will do is take all of the core strengthening exercises that you're doing and test them in an actual real-life situation. So let's say it's July, and you go, you know what? I'm going to start training. I'm taking this season seriously. I'm going to strength train two days a week, and I'm going to get strong for this season. I really want to have a good season, ski a lot, and have fun and get better, and I'm just going to commit to it. What are some things you want to do? Well, you definitely want to improve your core strength, stability, and endurance between now and the season, right? For all the reasons that we just talked about. Another thing that you could do is periodically test those abilities with dead shifts. Again, I, I'm going to link these in the show notes. You can actually see what a dead shift looks like. But it's a great litmus test. It's a great way to go, okay, I can do this today, or I can't do this today. Can I do this in September? I can. Okay, cool. That means that all the work that I've been putting in, all the anti-rotational work, the transverse abdominal work, the anti-gravitational work, fighting rotation, all of that's paying off because I can take myself, put myself in a purposefully complex, weird position, which is going to happen to you while you're skiing no matter what, and I can demonstrate proficient core stability, core dynamics, and movement. So those are the five starting exercises that in my book are like must-do things. Payoff press, hollow hold, half-kneeling chops, Superman holds, Superman lifts, and then as a litmus test or just for fun, I actually love doing dead shifts, dead shifts. They are phenomenal. Uh, I learned about them about five years ago after a seminar with Michelle Dalcourt, who created the Viper which is a really useful piece of equipment. He also founded IdeaFit, and he produces some of the most fascinating research studies 
on what's going on on a cellular, like a muscle fiber level. He's also worked alongside NBA players. You're actually starting to see a lot of his tools in warmups for both NBA and NFL players, as well as mixed martial artists, because this stuff is legitimate. It's actually taking real life situations and testing ourselves and all the stuff that we're doing in the gym to make sure that it actually transfers outside the gym. If you're just doing sitting in the gym doing sit-ups all day long, you can do 20 sit-ups, now you can do 25 sit-ups, now you can do 30 sit-ups, that's great. You got better at sit-ups. But that's all flexion, and it's all flexion from your back. Sit-ups involve lying on the floor and just flexing your ribs towards your hip over and over. When's that really happening on snow? It's not. If you actually look at a skier, ski, moguls, pipe, GS, there's no sit-up happening ever, ever. And in fact... If you're doing any kind of sit-up thing, you should only be doing supermans because that's the muscle group that's going to help in all those situations that I just described. So that's not to demonize sit-ups if that's the only thing you know how to do. No hate. Just start to incorporate some other things that are going to help build a stronger core that's more useful for the things that you love to do. And sit-ups aren't even going to build a six-pack because if a six-pack isn't showing... That just means that there's adipose tissue between the muscle and the skin. There's fat between the two. If the fat goes away, the muscle shows. Every single skeleton in the world, every single person on earth has rectus abdominis muscles. Some people just have less body fat between the muscle and the skin. That's just facts. There's no way around that. So if the reason behind doing sit-ups is to get a six-pack, that's going to happen from nutrition. And you can strengthen those muscles that are underneath there functionally by doing these core exercises. So I hope that that helped. I know this was a dense episode. There's a lot of things that we talked about, but this stuff matters. And I'm serious about that. If you do one thing this summer, train your core muscles in a way that is dynamic, a way that's actually going to transfer to the things that you like to do, to skiing. Make it worth your while. If you're putting in time in the gym anyway, you might as well do stuff that's going to pay off for you. So like I always say, I'm here to support you 100%. I want skiers to ski and have more fun because they strength train and they learned how to utilize their body in more effective ways in the off season and maintain that strength during the season. So if you ever have a question, DM me. I literally write paragraphs back to people. I respond to everybody. No skin off my back. I'm here to help. I'm here to coach, give feedback, whatever it may be. And I'd like to just leave by saying thank you so much for listening. For those of you that made it this far, you are why I do this. It means the world to me to have an audience listening to this kind of stuff, learning about strength training, conditioning, and functional application for all the stuff that you're doing in the gym. The best way to support this podcast is to share it. If you have a loved one, friend, family, anyone that you ski with that you know would benefit from this information from the ski system at getskisystem.com or workouts on the social, shoot them this episode. I really appreciate it. I hope you're having a great weekend this weekend. Stay safe out there, and I will see you next Friday.